Well, welcome everyone. Let me join my welcome to that of Melissa. So happy to see everyone. Um, tonight, we are going to, well, I'm going to talk about um, relapse. So, you know, sometimes people say, well, if you relapse, you just have to go back to step one, get a new sponsor and start all over. So that's not quite how I read the big book. So I just want to talk a bit about relapse, how to stay out of it, and that if we do end up in relapse, how to um, get out of it. So it's a common misconception that relapse is a part of recovery. Sometimes people say that, not true. Um, relapse shouldn't be part of our recovery. The big book says on page 120 that it's infinitely better to have no relapse as has been the case with many. So the good news is if we are in recovery, we don't need to anticipate relapse like a boogeyman waiting around the corner. Um, another kind of caveat, sometimes what we call relapse is just simply ongoing non-recovery. That was me for my first seven years in OA. I never got more than two weeks together and often I couldn't make it to lunch. That wasn't relapse, that was just ongoing non-recovery. So relapse basically means that I've been in a state of recovery, I've gone through the steps and I'm doing well, and then I backslide and then I find myself in the food. So as I said, often people say, well, if we've relapsed, there's it's because there isn't a first step. But I went through the book and I found at least 10 pitfalls that can lead us into relapse. So I think if we're aware of them, then we can take steps to kind of avoid those pits. So here they are. Um, number one, not moving ahead quickly in the steps. Why is it so important to move ahead quickly in the steps? Well, remember the big book tells me my problem is lack of power. Um, I'm guessing that a lot of you had the same experience that I did, going to an OA meeting, crying, saying, yes, I know I'm powerless over food, that my life is unmanageable, help. And then being handed a food plan and being told to stick to it. I mean, that didn't work for me because my problem wasn't lack of a good food plan or lack of knowledge about how to eat healthy or even lack of desire. The big book tells me my problem is lack of power. So what do I do? Well, so again, the book tells me on page 46 that my first infusion of power comes with step two. As soon as we admit the possible existence of God, it says we begin to be possessed. I love that, possessed, like something takes hold of me, of a new sense of power and direction. But here's the caveat provided we take other simple steps. So at step two, we get enough power to get us to step three, where we're told that even more power flows in. At step five, we get enough power that it says the feeling that the drink problem, or for us, the food problem has disappeared will often come strongly. And by the time we finish our amends, we're told that God has placed us in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We're protected. So delaying the steps is delaying the miracle of God's protection. 
what does it mean to be protected by God? Well, I think back to like middle school social studies, right? Where we learned about the kings and the serfs. So I picture this really nice king, a very benevolent king, and he has serfs and serfs have to do the will of the king. That's just the way it goes. And as long as I'm the serf on the king's land, when the invading army, let's say the illness of compulsive eating, comes to attack, the king will pull up the drawbridges and I am safe and protected. But let's say I wander off the king's land because I don't want to have to follow a king. I want to be my own king or queen um, or God, and I don't want to do what God wants me to. Well, then if I'm not in the king's land, when the invading army comes to attack and the king pulls up the drawbridges, I'm not on the land safe and protected. Not ever because the king didn't love me. In fact, I believe the king will send out a search and rescue party to look for me and bring me back. But I'm in trouble if I'm not on the king's land. So um, I cannot delay the steps because the steps are what put me in the state of protection. The only possible exception the book allows us is step five, which we can postpone only if there isn't a suitable person around. There's 145 of us on the line right now. Really hard to think that there would never be a suitable person around. But I'm saying if your sponsor is away for a weekend, you can wait the weekend. Um, but other than that, we need to move through the steps as quickly and thoroughly as possible. Okay, number two, dishonesty. Um, page 58 tells us that this program requires that we develop a manner of living built on rigorous honesty. That means no lying, no stealing, no cheating on taxes, no cheating on husbands. Um, why? Why is it important that I not be dishonest? Well, first, the book tells me Dishonesty creates fear and tension, and that leads to more drinking or eating. Um, second, and more important, whenever I lie, I'm trying to get something that I want, my self-will, or avoid consequences that I don't want, my self-will again. Um, so if I'm, and what that boils down to is I'm playing God. I'm trying to arrange life to get what I want, or to avoid what I don't want. Um, and really, if I'm being dishonest, I may as well take a big black Sharpie and write the words, keep out God across my heart because I'm really telling God I don't trust his way and I'd rather do it my way. And we all know what happens then when we tell God, keep out, God keeps out. He's not gonna force his will on us ever. On page 146, in a very neglected chapter, we employers, the writers of the big book are talking to the employer of a man who's trying to recover from alcoholism. And this is what they say. When his wife next calls saying he is sick, you might jump to the conclusion he is drunk. If he is and is still trying to recover, he will tell you about it, even if it means the loss of his job for he knows he must be honest if he would live at all. So they're saying that it can be possible to for someone to drink 
and still have a desire to recover. And if that person is serious about recovery, he or she will be honest about it. Um, no matter what the consequences, we have to be honest. When I was early on in recovery, um, I got fired from a job. I went on a job interview and they asked me, what happened at your last job? And like any good addict, I lied. I said, I quit and I made up some reason. Well, I got home and I realized I, I can't lie. So I called the interviewer back and I said, it wasn't true that I quit. I really got fired. Um, and I was willing to not get the job, but um, God is good. And I got the job anyway. But even if I hadn't, I stayed abstinent. And that's the main point. God knew I needed a job. So either that job or another job, he will provide as long as I stay smack dab in the center of his will. Number three, not enough work and self-sacrifice for others. The big one. Um, in Bill's story, we're taught how to perfect and enlarge our spiritual life. Now, I would think if it says, guys, here's how to perfect and enlarge your spiritual life, it would say through prayer and meditation, but it doesn't. Not It doesn't say we don't do prayer and meditation, but the way that people like us enlarge our spiritual life, it says through work and self-sacrifice for others. By definition, self-sacrifice requires that we give something up for the welfare of another person. How much self-sacrifice do I need to do? Well, I don't know, but here's what page 97 says. We give up our sleep. We have our fun time and our work time interrupted. It costs us money. It may involve going on hospital visits, sometimes having people stay at our homes for a while. It says, this is the big books line, not mine. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he is violent. It may involve calling police or doctors. I mean, I think these things generally happen more in AA than OA, but I think the point they're making is my life shouldn't be as easy breezy as it would be if I wasn't working this program. If I'm able to binge watch all the Netflix series I want, I'm probably not doing enough work and self-sacrifice for others. Number four, um, not working hard enough or fast enough on our fourth step. It's on page 63 and 64. I already talked about progressing quickly in the steps, but the big book uses particularly strong language when it comes to work on our step four. It tells us that we need to be launched on a course of vigorous action. And it promises that our third step will have no permanent effect unless followed at once by a strenuous effort. Um, so hear what they're saying. Our recovery can be permanent if we put in the work at this point. Um, number five, not resolving resentments. Um, Big Book is really specific about mentioning this as a pitfall. It says, page 66, when harboring resentments, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of for food returns and we binge again. And with us to binge is to die. We shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit, right? Imagine like 
us, me, and then the sunlight of the spirit, God. And if I have a resentment I'm willfully holding on to, I'm harboring, I'm a safe space for. It's like a big steel door comes down and shuts me off from this God, from this help. Um, so we got to turn the Netflix off and get our resentment inventories done. Number six, not living up to our sex ideal and harming others. So on page 70, um, page 70 is one of the places it tells us that if we engage in a certain behavior, we are sure to drink. So they're saying, basically, if you want to get drunk or binge, here's what you do. And that behavior, they say, is falling short of our sex ideal. Um, the big book is quite clear that if we fall down on our sex ideal and keep harming others, we are sure to drink. I personally, this is opinion now, don't think this is limited to a sex ideal because the main point is harming others. Um, so I feel comfortable in saying that the pitfall here is that if I continue to harm other people without feeling sorry, without making amends, I will binge again. Um, I've mentioned before that I used to pretend I was like the victim of a mugging or a rape. When I was in college, I told my boyfriend at the time, who was in a very rigorous program of study at an Ivy League college, that I'd been raped and he spent lots of time taking care of me. I had no remorse over doing this, never considered how I was hurting him. I just wanted attention, so didn't care about anyone else. Well, of course, even though I was going to lots of OA meetings, I kept binging and binging. Number six. Number seven, sorry, letting up on our spiritual program of action and resting on our laurels. Um, the book says, page 85, we are headed for trouble if we do. And it tells us every day is a day where we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. I mean, this pitfall applies to people who finish the first nine steps and try to coast. The big book is clear, we need to keep doing steps 10, 11, and 12. In step 10, we clear away the wreckage of the day so that we can hear from God. And in step 11, we hear from God, however way we do. Some people may hear him audibly. Some people like me, I just get a thought in my head that wasn't there before I asked for it. Um, in step 12, we help others. And there's a second part of step 12. We continue to practice these principles in all our affairs. So I have to continue practicing honesty, unselfishness, self-sacrifice, and all the other principles listed in this book. And that includes repairing the damage um, immediately if I'm inconsiderate. In fact, the big book tells me on page 99 that if we don't repair damage immediately, we may pay the penalty by a spree. So we have to fix things right away or we're in danger of binging. See, do you see how these things aren't first step issues? These are 10 step issues or fit all sorts of different issues. Um, okay, number eight, not working intensively with other compulsive eaters, page 89. It says working with others gives us immunity. Um, it's the only place in the big book where it says we are promised immunity. The illness can't touch us. 
we're protected by God. Like I love that word immunity, right? I think of um, those episodes of law and order when a diplomat from a foreign country comes to New York, kills someone and the cops can't touch him because he has diplomatic immunity. Or if we get a vaccine like the, you know, the COVID vaccine, then we supposedly have immunity against getting the virus. This is a guaranteed immunity that if we do step 10 to keep ourselves clean, that we pray and meditate so that we hear from God what his will is, or at least we try, right? We can't always control if God's gonna answer, but we can try. Um, we give him the time and the space. We help others and we practice these principles. We have immunity. Next one, number nine, not knowing my own personal temptations and limits, page 101. Um, it's important to know where we can't go either because it's early on in our recovery and everything tempts us, which if that's you, it will get better, I promise. Um, I don't even know where the candy aisle in my grocery store is now. It gets better, but early on in recovery, we have to be careful. Maybe someone needs to go to the grocery with us or at least be on the phone with us. That's okay. Um, and sometimes on a given day, we may just be spiritually shaky. So if that's the case, the book tells us we work with another compulsive eater, or if we're new in recovery, we find a way to be useful and practice self-sacrifice instead of going to a place of temptation. The book says a big temptation comes while traveling. So it's recommended when we do that in advance, we go and we find out where the meetings are and we go to lend a hand and at the same time, avoid certain alluring distractions of the road. That's page 162. And just um, a caution here, a large percentage of relapses happen when we go on vacation. So early on in recovery, it's recommended that, you know, we don't plan vacations. Obviously, if we have kids and we already have a trip to Disney World plan, we don't just go ahead and cancel and say, sorry, honey, I'm in recovery. You know, just you're sitting home spring break. But talk to your sponsor. We talk to our sponsors and come up with a plan. It is possible to go anywhere, you know, as long as we're honest and we plan and we bring God in. Number 10 not resigning from the debating society. This means like we have to be right about everything. We have to just stop that. We don't have to be right about everything. The book says we have stopped fight. We have ceased fighting anybody or anything. We have to. Um, two places where it's really easy to debate with others are, well, three, politics, religion, and in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, believe it or not, food plans. People can have big debates on, you know, whether or not like an ingredient like wheat is evil. Um, unless the food plan is mine or my sponsees, it's none of my business. I actually don't tell people except, you know, my sponsor what my food plan is, because I don't want anyone to either one, judge me and say, oh, you're eating this? Well, that's wrong. Or two, think, well, she can have that. So maybe I can, even though it may be a trigger food for that person and not for me. So food plans, like we'll, we keep them between ourselves, our nutritionists, our sponsors, and God. 
Um, 11. Oh, I said 10. One more. Um, idolatry. Yes. Any of you hardcore big book fanatics will say the word idolatry is not in the big book and you would be 100% correct. However, I believe it is implied throughout, right? It says either God is everything or else he is nothing. Anything that comes before God is our idol. Um, the definition of idolatry is putting a person, place, or thing ahead of God. Page 55 is really clear. We can block the fundamental idea of God that is, it, that is in everyone by calamity, pomp, and worship of other things. Those other things are our idols. Why is this so important? Well, look what it says. It's actually my favorite line in the big book. Deep down in every man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of God, right? So when God created us, he gave us two lungs, two kidneys, a heart, um, a stomach, and somewhere in there, the fundamental idea of him, he planted that in us, right? So I can say, I don't believe in God, I'm an agnostic, right? I could say I'm a lung agnostic. I don't believe I have lungs. I could say it, but it's not true. I have lungs. If I'm breathing, I have lungs. So how come if the knowledge of God is in me, I can not believe in God? And it says it can be blocked by calamity, bad things that have happened in my life or others, by pomp, me putting myself on the throne, or worship of other things, my idols. That will block the knowledge of God. That's why um, idolatry is so insidious and so dangerous to our recovery. Um, so here's some examples. We can make an idol out of our sponsors, right? We know we're doing this if we are not being honest with our sponsor for fear of being dropped. You know, I was going to say for fear of being yelled at, but a sponsor should never yell at us. So if any of us sponsors are yelling at people thinking it's a good tactic, it's not. Um, I used to be one of those sponsors who yelled at people because I had a sponsor who yelled. So I thought that's the way to do it. Um, but I was dead wrong. We're not supposed to yell. So, um, but if you're dishonest with your sponsor because you're afraid of being dropped, you're making an idol out of him or her. Remember, a sponsor has zero power to get me abstinent. A sponsor's number one job is to help the sponsee get a relationship with God. And I love how my sponsor puts it. She says, a sponsor's job is to take the sponsee's hand and put it in the hand of God. So not telling my sponsor the truth is kind of like not going to my doctor, is like going to my doctor and not telling him that that precancerous mole he sliced off has grown back. Like that's what it's like. Um, my sponsor's job is to help me. And if I'm dishonest with her, she can't. I'm actually better off without a sponsor and being honest than having the world's best sponsor and being dishonest because God will not work where there's dishonesty. Remember, when we're being dishonest, we're actually telling people to, we're telling God to keep out. Um, 
Another idol that I just thought of recently was the scale, not the food scale, but the scale that we weigh ourselves on. Um, it has the power to cause us to go off our food plan either because the number on the scale has gone a lot lower, so I think I'm entitled, or it's not, the needle isn't moving fast enough, so I think, what's the use? But remember, I'm, I'm on this food plan, I'm on this path, so that I can be in a relationship with God and of use to others. And I need to surrender the weight. Some people, some sponsors tell their sponsees not to get on the scale at all. I tell my sponsees, um, I give them a, like, I generally say every two weeks for one reason. So we can see if the food plan is working. If you lose 30 pounds in two weeks, we probably need to up your food. And if you're gaining a couple pounds, okay, then we need to tweak your food plan a little bit. That's it. But if a person is triggered by it, I'll say like, get on the scale every two weeks and like, have your husband look at it. Don't look and have your husband tell me the number. Um, one of my sponsees did just really a beautiful job with it. She just absolutely surrendered it to God. She said, my weight is now God's business. So every two weeks, she would send me a text and say, God has decided that this week, my weight should be whatever. And God kept deciding until she was down about 80 pounds. She ne she didn't stress if she didn't lose any weight during that two-week period because she had surrendered it and her weight was now none of her business. Um, we can identify what our idols are by filling in the blank in this sentence. I won't be happy unless dot, dot, dot. And the unless is our idols. Um, unless I get a promotion, unless I get married, unless I have a baby, unless I earn a certain amount of money, um, the biggest idols I've had to work through have been with my kids. I won't be happy unless my kids go to church when they go to college, unless they love me all the time and are never mad at me, unless they are successful. And I've had to surrender these um, and realize my happiness is not dependent on how my children are doing, what their religious practices are, or how much they do or don't love me. Um, not only is that idolatry, it's a lot of pressure to put on a child for them to know that they are responsible for my happiness. So um, how do we surrender that? So because that's often a tough one for, for us, I've treated idolatry, idolatry the same way as any other defect. I looked at, I inventoried it, which is basically looking at how it manifests in my life, share it with another person, ask God to remove the defect, and then practice the opposite, which is putting God first. So a way I might practice the opposite would be on Sunday nights, not asking my children if they've gone to church or... Um, saying something to them that I know might make them mad, but I know is the right thing for my own integrity. So we work at practicing the opposite. And I can tell you, I've had success over this idolatry, which tormented me for a while. Okay. So those is how we get into relapse. Let's talk about how to get out of relapse and how to help our sponsees get out of relapse. Um, it's my opinion based on 
how I read the big book, that a big book that a sponsor should not automatically drop a sponsee if the sponsee eats compulsively. I say this based on a few passages of the big book. Um, there's more than three, but in the interest of time, there's three. Um, in the forward to the second edition, it says that 25% of early AAs sobered up after some relapse. Imagine if these 25 people were just kicked to the curb, they might not have recovered. So 25% relapse before they recover. Number two, in chapter three, it talks about Jim and how he got drunk half a dozen times in rapid succession. The text says, on each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. I heard one person say, well, it says we worked with him. That means someone else worked with him. But I mean, come on, did they pass him to six or seven different sponsors? Um, I think, I don't think so. If I'm someone's sponsor, I already know that person's history, their weaknesses. We all have Achilles heel. Um, I know the best way to reach them. Plus, there's already a relationship there, hopefully one of love, trust, and friendship. If one of my sponsees relapses, hopefully I'll be in a good position to help her more so than someone she's never talked to. Number three, um, page 179, Dr. Bob's Nightmare. It, Bob tells how he met Bill Wilson. Bill worked hard with him for, I think, three weeks, and Bob stopped drinking. And then Dr. Bob went on a huge binge. Bill Wilson didn't say, Bob, I worked with you for three weeks and you blew it. Good luck, but you'll need to find someone else. He didn't. He actually brought him home from his drinking binge, took his shoes off, put him to bed, and kept working with him. And thank God, because if he didn't, none of us would be here right now. Um, Okay, I said a sponsor shouldn't automatically drop a sponsee if the sponsee relapses. Here's a good way to decide if we should. I would ask the sponsee if she's doing everything I've told her to. I'm not talking about sticking to a food plan because we are powerless to do that. But if she's do, is she doing everything else? Um, so for instance, I require that my sponsees spend at least half an hour every morning with God, um, because the only way to get a relationship with someone is to spend time with them. I tell them they have to make a certain number of phone calls and a few other things. If they're unwilling to do that, I feel no obligation to keep working with them. Not because they're bad, but because page 58 tells me that this program doesn't work for people who aren't willing to go to any lengths. If she is willing to go to any lengths and she's been doing all that, I first ask her if there's any dishonesty in her life. And if there is, she needs to clean it up. Then I'll ask her to review the pitfalls and figure out what pit she fell into. It was there a lack of strenuous forward movement in the steps. Is she working hard at self-sacrifice for others? Um, Dr. Bob says people who relapse are those who stop having a morning quiet time. Has she stopped that? Is there an amend she hasn't been willing to make? Are there any steps that weren't done thoroughly? Um, and I think one I left out is the book says, um, if we don't lose our fear of creditors, we are liable to drink. So if there's a financial amend that someone stops paying back or isn't paying, that's gonna lead to a binge. Um, 
And once she goes through her step work, I review it with her and encourage her to clean up any gaps and redouble spiritual activities, work extra hard in her relationship with God, her usefulness to others, and in whatever area she stumbled. I'd like to mention two things that don't cause relapse. Um, circumstance, first one. I'm sure we've all heard people say, or been guilty of saying ourselves, I relapse because dot, 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 and then we list a circumstance. My lousy boss, my annoying kids, my manipulative mother-in-law, whatever. Circumstances are never the cause. In like a brilliant formula on page 68, the big book says, we are in the world to play the role that he, God, assigns just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So if I don't have serenity, even in the midst of calamity, I'm either not doing what I think God would have me, right? Not surrendering or not humbly relying on him, not trusting him with the outcome. Circumstances are never the cause of relapse. And the second one, sometimes someone will say it's because they accidentally ate a trigger food and that caused them to binge. The key word is an accidentally, as in an honest mistake. I remember I'd been in recovery, I don't know, a few months and I was drinking diet soda at the time and I had a can of diet Sprite. Only after I was done, I saw it wasn't diet Sprite, it was regular Sprite. I drank a whole can, honestly didn't know that it was a can of regular Sprite. You know what happened? Nothing. I went, I told my sponsor, and then I just kept on doing what I was doing. Remember, our solution is being protected by God. What kind of God would withdraw his protection because of an honest mistake? But if we're being dishonest with our food and eating something that we know leads us to obsession, compulsion, binging, then the issue isn't food, the issue is dishonesty. And finally, the big book explains how to prevent another relapse, page 120. It says, if a repetition of relapse is to be prevented, place the problem along with everything else in God's hands. So we examine all the areas where we're doing the program our own way, and we begin to do it his way to the best of our ability. We make sure we're being honest, that we're living up to our ideals, that we're clearing up resentments and fears, and that we're making amends quickly when we harm others. Because we're not perfect. We're going to harm others. Um, we make sure we're spending enough time in prayer and meditation so that we are on the continuous receiving end of God's loving, never-ceasing power, and that we're helping others to find and fall in love with this great majestic, wonderful God um, who supplies us with all the power and protection we need to stay abstinent. And that's just his opening act. Um, the book says, if a repetition is to be prevented, place the problem along with everything else in God's hands. Like that sentence really struck me. I was struck by like, I don't know how awesome those words are. Place the problem along with everything else in God's hands. God must have some pretty big hands. And he does, right? He's big enough to solve all our problems, including our food problem. So the antidote to relapse and the key to ongoing recovery, I think can be summed up on page 59. And with this, I'll close. 
There is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. And may we all find him now. And with that, I pass.